Well, welcome to uh, Big Valley Grace, especially if this is your first time with us. We're glad you're here. Welcome to everybody over there in the venue. And if you're watching online, we're just super grateful that you're, you're with us. Uh, we love you a bunch here at Big Valley Grace. Love you, love you, love you. I love coming to my church family. I literally love pulling into the parking lot. I love seeing all of the cars from the choir and the orchestra that get here long before I do, and all of our Sunday school teachers that love Jesus so much. I, I just love um, being here. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to John chapter 14. Okay, put your finger in there. And I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, and I want you to put your finger in there, okay? Unfortunately, that little phrase, uh, you don't hear much anymore in churches. Take your Bibles and turn to. It's uh, really a, a, a tragic commentary on our, our country, on our culture today. That in churches, you don't hear that phrase very much anymore. If you don't own a Bible... You can go into the altar room when we're done, and we'd love to give you your own copy of the Bible that you can take home and read. You can mark it up and uh, underline things and make notes and stuff. We, we'd love to give you your own copy of the Word of God. We as a church family are walking through the Gospel of John together, or the Book of John together. And as I've told you many times, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. I want you to think about somebody in your life, somebody who's a close friend to you, close buddy to you, somebody you go have coffee with or play golf with, somebody who you go fishing with, somebody who you're tight with. Jesus and John were really, really close. John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And so what we're reading and what we're studying is really somebody who actually saw all of these things. He actually, you know, touched Jesus. He got to hug Jesus. He saw Jesus before he was put on a cross, and he saw Jesus after he walked out of the tomb. And so it's been a, a, a real great adventure, and we're in John chapter 14, and I want you to look at verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, if you really love me, then, then obey my commandments. And today, in a 21st century context, if we love him, then, then the scriptures are going to really matter to us. They're going to matter to the degree that we have a heart that we want to obey them. And Jesus goes on and says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, some of your Bibles use the word counselor or comforter or helper who will never leave you. This, this advocate or this helper or this comforter will never leave you, Jesus said. Never, never leave you. And verse 17 tells us who this advocate or this comforter or this helper is. And that is he is the Holy Spirit. And so here we have in John chapter 14 this great promise from Jesus that 
When he finally gets to heaven, when he finally gets to the right hand of the Father, he is going to send the advocate, the helper, the, the comforter who will never leave us. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. And let me do just a really quick review of what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. Number one, we looked at the idea, the theological truth that the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity, right? You got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Number two, we looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit was proof that Jesus made it to the Father in heaven. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus, or John says, hey, when I get to the Father, when I finally get there, you know, after his death and burial, resurrection, when he finally gets there, I am going to send you the Comforter. And in Acts chapter two, we see that great moment when Jesus gets to the Father and he sends his Holy Spirit. It was proof that he had made it back to the Father. And then number three, and this was the main point of two weeks ago's message, the Holy Spirit lives within and dwells all true believers permanently. Once again, our text here in John 14 says that he will never leave us, never. And beloved, Jesus can't lie. And so if Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and be a part of our lives and he will never leave us, then he means he will never leave us. If the Holy Spirit could leave you today, then I have no good news for you. There's no such thing as good news. If somehow, you know, you could go out and live your life in such a way, you know, tonight that the Holy Spirit would leave you, there's no good news. Well, pastor, what if I, I don't know, go out and, you know, get drunk tonight? Jesus said he will never leave you. Well, pastor, what if I do something really, really, really crummy, you know, tomorrow at work? Jesus said the Holy Spirit would never leave you. He didn't say that the Holy Spirit would never leave you as long as you live a perfect life. He didn't say that. And the reason why he didn't say that was because he knows us. He knows we can't live a perfect life. If the decision that you made to follow Christ was genuine, if you really humbled yourself before God, you understood what your sin had done, and you understand the implications of the cross and the empty tomb, and you surrendered your life over to Jesus, you put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, however you want to couch that thought, if that was indeed a genuine moment, the Holy Spirit came upon you, and he will never leave you. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit forever. Peter said this in Acts chapter two. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's at the moment of salvation that this unbelievably beautiful, majestic gift of the third person of the Holy Trinity comes in to our lives. I, I wrote out a little sentence, I don't know if it's in your notes or not, but it says this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time forever act that happens at the moment a person receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. That was two weeks ago, okay? 
Then um, last week we looked at this thought, just because the Holy Spirit indwells you forever, it doesn't mean that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. They sound alike, but they're really two different things. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul writes these words to a group of believers, a church who were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, and he introduces this thought, be filled, remember he's writing to believers here, be filled with the Spirit. And I gave you a, a number of illustrations last week that on this idea that whatever fills your life controls your life. Here, Paul has simply given us an illustration that most of us will understand that you can be a believer, you can have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, but if you get enough alcohol in you, if you get inebriated, no longer are you filled with the Spirit, you're filled with alcohol, and the alcohol begins to control your life. All of a sudden, you're making decisions you wouldn't normally make, you're doing things you wouldn't normally do, because the Spirit of God isn't filling your life, the alcohol is, but it could be anything. It could be pornography. Pornography can fill your life, and if it fills your life, that's what's gonna control your life. It could be, uh, I see this often, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You can be a believer in Christ. You can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but man, the thing that you know, fills your life is this new relationship. And if that's the case, then that's what controls your life. We see in a lot of young people today, uh, a video game will fill their life. I mean, they won't come out of their bedrooms, you know, for, for two weeks, you know. And they know Christ. I'm not questioning their Christianity. I'm not questioning whether their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life or not. But obviously, they're not filled with the Spirit. They're filled with you know, whatever that video game is. But that also happens to adults too, is your career can fill your life. And because your career fills your life, that's what's controlling your life. The Holy Spirit is no longer in control. And so all true believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit because as I said last weekend, we leak at times. First Thessalonians chapter one says this, be joyful always, <coughs> pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then there's this phrase here in verse 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. You see, it's possible to be indwelt with the Spirit of God, but that we've quenched the Spirit of God within us by what we choose to do with our lives, the choices that we make, or whatever it is that we might fill our lives with. Now, I ended last week by sharing with you three things that will ensure that you as a follower of Christ are not only indwelt, but you're filled. And the first one was that you have to fill your mind with God's Word. They, they go hand in hand. There's no way that somebody can have the Holy Spirit filling their life if they're not spending time in God's word. They go hand in hand. Jesus was the one who said, man does not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
One of the ways you plug up the holes, you know, that cause you to leak or cause me to leak is just by spending time in God's Word. The more time you spend in God's Word, I can guarantee you, the more filled with the Spirit you will be. Uh, uh, Paul said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when the Word of Christ, the Word of God is dwelling in you richly, then you're gonna be filled with the Spirit. The second thing I talked about last weekend was this idea that you have to have a funeral. You have to see your old self, your old nature, your Adamic nature, that's the big biblical word. You have to see it on a cross, dead with Jesus. When he died on that cross, he died that your flesh would be dead also. And you gotta understand that principle. And last but not least, we looked at the idea that you must give God your body. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter six that we're not to offer the parts of our body to crummy things, sinful things, wicked things, but instead we're to take these bodies of ours, and for a lot of us, they're, 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 they're breaking down, you know? We, we, our knees are going out on us, our hips are going out on us, we got hair growing out of our ears, our nose, we're on anti-inflammatories, you know, we're got, glasses are, are getting thicker, all this stuff's happening, and yet God says, you need to offer the parts of your body to me. I got a really neat email from a guy last week. It really, really made me smile. Thinking about it even now makes me smile. He said, Rick, every day this week, I've woken up, you know, when I went to bed, I woke up, and I literally, before I got out of bed, I said, God, here are my hands. I'm offering my hands to you today. May they somehow bring honor and glory to you. Lord, here are my legs. May they only take me places that you would want me to go. Hey, Lord, here's my tongue. May I only use it in a way that would bring honor to you. And let me just tell you something. You wake up with, and you, make, you, you say a prayer like that every day, chances are pretty good you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So with all this said, I, I want to share what happens when, when you are filled with God's Holy Spirit. What happens when you spend time in God's word? What happens when you bury the old man? What happens when you give the, the parts of your body over to the Lord? What, what kind of life does that look like? What, what does a holy life look like, okay? This is where we now turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter five, okay? Because here we're gonna get this beautiful picture. And if you got you know, half a cell working, it's gonna make perfect sense to you. You don't need a preacher on this one. The scripture is just super clear, super clean here of what a spirit-filled life looks like. In Galatians chapter five, verse 16, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's, there's no law against these things. Those are the characteristics of somebody who's not just indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but they're actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I'd like to do is, is um, I, 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 wanna, 
I want you to be a fruit inspector because I'm going to quickly walk through all nine pieces of this, this you know, the, these fruit here. And I want you to think about your own life. Now, the easy thing will be, man, you know, honey, I know your life like the back of my hand. I don't want you to worry about your spouse's fruit. Okay, I don't want to see anybody, hey, yeah, you need that one, sweetheart. That one's not really being produced too well in your life. No, no, none of that. If, if I see that, I'll jump down and come and, I don't know, beat you. Okay, because I, I don't want anybody doing that. This is a moment where you're inspecting your own life. And I did this this week. And, um, you know, there's about, I don't know, five of them where I go, man, I'm doing really well. And there were, you know, four or so where it was like, whoa, I got some work to do. And so as we walk through the word of God together, and we just briefly look at each of these pieces of fruit, I want you to think about your own life. And maybe when you get done, you know, somebody like Rexy down here, man, all nine of these fruit are just hanging all over his life like you can't believe, man. And that's fantastic. Maybe you'll go, whoa, wait a minute, man. Here's something maybe I need to work on. And what a beautiful thing if God's people would walk out these doors going, you know, man, I got to work on that. And maybe if you're married, you'd say to your spouse, hey, spouse, as I was kind of going through the, the fruit there, Here's something I really, I don't see much in my life. Would you, would you be praying for me in this, Eric? I, I'd like to see that fruit in my life a little more. And that'd, be, that'd be a beautiful thing. So here we go. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus said this in John 13. We looked at it a couple of months ago. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, if he had stopped right there, whew, we're all golden. Because then we get to determine what love looks like. And so you could say, well, I'm loving you, man. But Jesus doesn't stop there because he knows us. Love one another, and here it is, as I have loved you. Wow, you must love one another by this, all men will know that you're one of my disciples if you have love for one another. And he's talking to us, church. He's saying, hey, I, I want you to have a love for one another. I want you to love your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. I want you to love them just the way I loved you. Remember, how I loved you. I sacrificed my life on a cross for you. And if you would love each other, wow, the world out there, as they drive by here, you know, 4040 Tully Road or drive down Pellendale, people are gonna go, hey, look, I don't believe in their God. I don't, I don't know what they do in there. I, I think that's all, you know, goobly gawk. But I can tell you this, wow, they love each other there. I have friends who go there. Now, this 
This idea, and I shared this with you before, this idea that we're to love one another wasn't a new command. God has always commanded his people to love. You can read about that in Deuteronomy, Leviticus. We were always called to love, but this new command was different in two ways. Number one, this new love was to be sacrificial. It was to be modeled after the love that Jesus demonstrated. Hey, you don't get to determine what love looks like. Jesus says, I determine that. And I want you to love each other the way I loved you. And I sacrificed for you. I sacrificed when I left the glories of heaven. Imagine that. He, he, he didn't need you. He didn't need me. We didn't, you know, compete him, you know. But he sacrificed by coming here to planet Earth. And not only was that just a sacrifice to leave the glories of heaven, but then he voluntarily goes to a cross. Went through the, a horrific death for you, for me. We didn't believe in him. We were sinners. 1 John chapter 3 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's how you know what real love is. It's not just words that come out of your mouth. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's a conduct. There's an old saying, you know, talk is cheap. Hey, tell your spouse you love them. Tell your kids you love them. Tell your parents you love them. Nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you something, love, there's, a, there's, a, there's an action behind it. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He doesn't say give up our lives for our spouse, that's kind of a no-brainer, or give up our lives for our kids, get it. He's talking about each other here. That's the kind of love we're to have inside these walls, if you will. This is the love that the church is supposed to have for each other. But I, I, I love you as my brother. I care about you as my brother. Ah, you know what? We, I, may, I may not like some of your, you know, political stances. That's okay. But I love you. We may not see eye to eye on everything, but I love you. I think one of the reasons why the church has lost a lot of its power is that man, there's just all this infighting within the church. Just fighting each other over things that just don't matter. These little tiny things just have become major things and we're fighting one another, we're not getting along with one another. It's just really... Really sad. Once again, you know, Romans chapter five says, but God demonstrated his love in this way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us and we didn't even know him. We didn't even believe in him. We didn't want anything to do with him. And yet here we have God dying for us. And the Bible says, I want you to love others the way I loved you. And one of the things I see, and this is just one guy, it's one guy, you know, who's been doing this quite a while here. 
Man, the church is lacking in real biblical love. The love that the Holy Spirit produces is a self-sacrificing love. And the second thing that made this new love unique was that this new love was only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me demonstrate this for you. Okay, buckle your seatbelts. For some of you, this is just so radical. It's, just get, it's gonna get worse, by the way, for you. In Matthew chapter five, we're given a little taste as to why you need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull off this new love. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. What? What are you talking about? Love my enemies? I, I don't have a problem, you know, loving my brothers and sisters, even though some of them are weirdos, you know. I can go there. But you're asking me to love my enemies? Yeah. Hey, you don't pull off that fruit unless you got the Holy Spirit in you. You want me to love people that, you know, like that other candidate? Who's running for whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you, you got overboard here, man. You want me to love that person that's living in a lifestyle that I think is crummy and sinful? Yeah! That's what I want you to do! Love them. You don't have to like how they live. You don't have to like their politics. You don't have to like the choices that they're making. Yes, we have a biblical worldview on things. I look through the lenses of this, but that doesn't mean I somehow get off the hook of loving people. The fruit of the Spirit, when God's Spirit truly is filling you, you will love even your enemies. But it doesn't end there. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. And he says this, in that way, you will be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. Hey, you want to imitate God? You want to be more like your Father in heaven? You want to be more like Jesus? Then you got to love your enemies. You got to love those who you disagree with on issues. And you have to pray for those that persecute you because Jesus himself said, that's when you look like your Father in heaven. Remember, he loved us. Some of us maybe have been saved so long we forget about the fact that he loved us with all our hangups and foibles and sin and, and junk. But he's, he's not done. For he, talking about the Father, gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. In other words, God's common grace, his common love for people, uh, uh, keeps us alive. My heart's beating right now simply because of the common grace and mercy and compassion of God. He's keeping my heart beating and he's keeping your heart beating. And if you don't know him today, let me just tell you something. 
It's his common grace that's keeping you alive right now. God allows good things to happen to crummy people and rain and the sun, just like he allows good things to happen to believers. And he goes on though, if you only love those who love you, what reward is there in that? <laughs> man, pastor, can you get off this passage, man? <laughs> Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? You're not. Charlie Manson loves some people. What did he do? Saddam Hussein, you know, had some buddies that he was kind to. Big deal. I hear Hitler threw some nice parties. So what? If you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and the, and the Spirit of God fills you, you're going to love at a whole nother level. And the only way you're gonna pull off that self-sacrificing love is you gotta have the Spirit of God in you. Gotta have it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a little fruit inspection. How you doing there? Easy to love those that are like you. Easy to love, you know, your Christian brothers. Easy to love those that believe all the same things you do, vote for all the same candidates you do, post all the same kind of stuff in the Facebook pages you do. Is that easy? But man, anybody else, whoa! How well you do, doing on that? You, you, and by the way, you just, just do, do, we have the, do we have the numbers? Put the numbers up, there we go, rate yourself. I want you to see it, where, you're two, you're five, you're nine, where, where are you? Just think about it, really. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Okay, not happiness, but joy. There's a huge difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is, is dependent upon circumstances. Uh, yesterday, I had a baseball game. The game starts and they scored first. <laughs> I wasn't very happy. <laughs> and then we came back and scored a run. Yes! Now I'm happy again. Oh, and then they scored. Now I wasn't very happy. And then we went ahead. I'm happy again. And then they want to head home. And then we end up winning the game. Woo! And I got my car and I was driving home and I remember my wife was at a retreat. Uh, I got to make my own PJ sandwich tonight for, for dinner. See, happiness is really dependent upon what's going on in your life. And by the way, do I think God cares about your happiness? I think he does. I mean, I guess he doesn't want you to be miserable. But let me tell you this, God cares way more about your holiness than he knows your happiness. Joy, on the other hand, is, is just way different. Joy is an inward attitude that has God as its you know, object and its source. So you can be totally bummed, you know, not happy, but you got a joy in your life. I don't think Peter was very happy about dying on a cross. 
I don't think Paul was super happy and giddy about the fact he was going to get his head chopped off. I don't think uh, John was particularly happy about being in a prison in Pat- on an island called Patmos. But they all had a joy. Because joy is different. Joy has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. Joy is this this idea that, wow, I've got God in the center of my life. In 1 Peter, it says this, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Even in the midst of maybe some crummy, crummy circumstances, how you doing? You got that joy? I'm not talking about happiness. You have that joy in your life? Does knowing Jesus fill you with joy? Does knowing the truth of the gospel that Jesus paid the price for your sins somehow bring you with joy? Dr. MacArthur said, joy, it is the sense of well-being experienced by one who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. Wow, I know everything's okay. I, I know. And so the circumstances around me may be a bummer, and I may not be happy, but you know what? Man, everything is good between me and Jesus. Everything's good. And when God and Jesus, they're the focus of your life, wow, you'll have a joy. So how you doing? Rate yourself, okay? You're one, you're two, you're three, you're 10. What, what kind of joy do you see coming off of your life? No, number three, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, okay? This peace is an inner peace or an inner calm that comes from knowing that you're saved, You have a peace knowing that your eternal future is all secured. You know exactly what's gonna happen to you when you take your last breath. And here's the deal, if you're a young person here, my son's over here, a young guy, you know, you don't think about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I never thought about that kind of stuff. Now, at my age, let me tell you what happens. I get up in the morning, Spend some time in the Word, have a little cup of coffee, enjoy just being with the Lord. And you know what the next thing is that, that I look at usually? I'm gonna, this is just sick. I'm a sick person. The obituaries. <laughs> and here's why. I'll bet a week doesn't go by where I go, hey, I know that guy. I went to school with that guy. I was in church with that guy. I now know a lot of people in the obituary section. Now my son's going, man, dad, I wish that you hadn't told me that, you know? Look at them, dead people. Here's the deal. I could die right now. I'm okay. I got peace. Folks, I know exactly what's gonna happen to me. Exactly. And there's a peace in that. I, I, I mean, an unbelievable peace. Oh, everything around me can be just going crazy. I know what happens at the end of my life. How about that in your life? You got got that fruit hanging off a tree? Rate yourself. How how you doing there, okay? 
Uh, number four. Oh, man. I don't have time for this one. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. I ran out of time on this one. Uh, Someone said patience is love in action. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're given the greatest definition ever of love in the Bible, and it starts out like this. Love is patient. Wow. Love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. The word patience there comes from this Greek word, markrathumo, which basically means it takes a long time to boil over. You have a long fuse rather than a short fuse. You're, you're not easily angered, you know. And uh, I want you to know, Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I just don't even have that fruit. I'm not even sure that fruit has ever sprung up on any branch of mine. I, I, I think there have been nubs at times. And it just, I don't know what it is. Man, I see something. I got to do it. Got to figure it right now. I'm going to fix it right now. I'm going to do this right now. I don't have any And I'm, I just, I'm just not patient. And I want you to know, interesting that when you study for messages, uh, you, you have to wrestle with things. The Holy Spirit begins to do his work in your life. And certainly, you know, when you look at the, at the, at the graph there, you know, rate yourself, you know, I'm not real high there. And that's not, that's not okay. Maybe you are. I know a lot of really patient people. Some of you are sitting out there right now and you're just like super patient. But, but for me, that's a piece of fruit, I guess, that I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta work on. Number five, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And I want you to know, like patience, kindness is, is love and action. Kindness is a verb. Kindness is, a, is an action. It's a conduct. I mean, how do you know if somebody's kind? Because they tell you, hey, I'm kind. No. The only way you know somebody is kind is that there's some sort of action behind it and you go, hey, that person's kind. They've done something kind. And so it's not just a word. There, 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 there's action behind it. First John chapter three says, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. And this is a, this is a piece of, of fruit that, man, the, the, there's energy, there's calories being burnt because you're actually doing something you're, you're, you're conducting your life in such a way that a person senses and feels kindness. Once again, we see how kind the Lord was in Romans chapter five when he demonstrated his love for us, his kindness for us, his mercy for us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't just say that he loved you. He showed you that he loved you by his conduct. He gave up his life for you. And one of the greatest ways you demonstrate your love for others is when you're kind 
to them. Now I want you to know how important this is to God. Jesus said this in Luke 6. It's, it's um, uh, just another way of, of a passage we looked at earlier. He said, love your enemies and do good to them. Do good to them. Don't, don't just pray for them, but actually do good. Be kind. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. What? Man, Jesus had bad days like everybody else, right? He couldn't possibly mean that. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he, God, is kind to those who are unthankful and he's kind to those who are wicked. Once again, your heart's beating, right? That's an act of kindness. Because if he wanted to, boom, all of our hearts could stop beating right now. But he's kind. And if you don't know the Lord here today, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how great this, this is that he's kind to you. If your heart were to stop right now, you'd spend your eternity apart from him. But he's so loving and he's so kind that he kept your heart beating, kept your lungs taken in air, that you might be here today. I believe that. Look, there's no wiggle room with, with God on this. He, he wants us to be kind because when you're kind, whether it's with your spouse or with, whether it's with an enemy, you're acting like God. You see, if you only are kind to those that are kind to you, no big deal. Charlie Manson did that. It's when you're kind to those who aren't kind. Now, whoa, whoa, now you're, 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 you're saying something about the God that you be, be, believe in. So I want you to do a little, little rating there, okay? How, how you doing? How you doing on that piece of fruit there? Doing okay? Doing okay? Kindness? By the way, let me give you one more thought there. Jesus said this. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry, you know, heavy burdens, and, and I'll give you rest. And here Jesus is talking about rest for your soul. It's a much deeper rest. But let me ask you a question. Let me show you a way that you can really express kindness. When somebody comes to you, let's say it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's somebody in your small group, and they come to you, do you treat them in such a way that they find rest when they're with you? Or is it, oh, dude, buckle your seatbelts, man, because this is just gonna be another thing. I, I have some really dear friends that I, when I'm with them, when I come to them, when we're together, wow, they're just, they're just kind. And there's real rest when you're with them. Number six, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. We as Christ followers are commanded to exemplify goodness. Galatians chapter six goes on to say, let us not become weary in doing good. 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up doing good. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, enemies, Republicans, Democrats, independents. Do good to all people, especially those that are in the family of God. Obviously, we've got to do good to us that are in here. But God, you want to be a follower of his son, man, he calls you to something radical. And you would love and be kind and you'd be good, do good things for people. And the hardest thing would be, this is why you need the Holy Spirit, are those that think differently than you. You don't have to like their politics. You don't have to like their lifestyle. You don't have to like some of the choices that they've made. You don't have to like those things. But you gotta love them. Gotta be kind. Gotta be good. Uh, so how are you doing on how are you doing on that one? Okay, number seven, right? The fruit of the spirit is faithfulness. This is all about loyalty, loyalty to Jesus. Are you faithful to Him? And the second piece is loyalty to His Word. You can't separate those two things. Are you really faithful to Jesus? And it's easy to say, "Yeah, I'm faithful," and then you throw in the second part to it. As revealed in his word, well, that's, see, that gets a little dicey. But that's what faithfulness is about. When you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you'll be loyal, and I, I picked that word, you'll be loyal to Jesus, and you'll be loyal to what he says. And obviously, you don't have to like everything he says, right? I don't like, all, I don't like some of the passages we've been reading. I don't like them. Doesn't matter whether I like them or not. God didn't call me up to heaven and go, hey, Rick, before I get this thing all you know, sorted out and written down there, are you okay with these things? He didn't do that to you either. So you may not like some of the things you read in here, but are you loyal to them? And um, number eight, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And a better translation, I think, in your Bibles would be the word meekness, okay? It's a better translation. Um, and then number nine, the fruit of the Spirit is, is self-control. The ability to control your, your passions, your anger, your desires, your appetites. Proverbs chapter 25 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. How old do you do in that era of your life? That self-control? Rate yourself. Now as I wrap it up, I wanna ask you a, a question. How many of you know what an oxymoron is? Yeah, most of you know it, all right? Like I put some up on the jumbotrons, like uh, jumbo shrimp, we got that? Like, it's, I mean, it's either shrimp or it's jumbo. I mean, it can't be both. You got a numb feeling, you ever had that? I got, I got a numb feeling. Well, it's either numb or it's a, a feeling, you got, hey, I want you to act natural. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm either naturally doing it or I'm not. You know, found missing. You ever heard that phrase? Yeah, they found this person missing. Well, how does that work? And then I've got, you know, uh, airline food. <laughs> uh, if you're a pilot or you're a steward, you know, I've, I've, the, the food is good. Uh, <laughs> 
small crowd. You ever been in a, in a small crowd? What does that mean? Or how about a temporary tax increase? <laughs> Let me throw in a couple of oxymorons that really may not make sense. Uh, plastic glasses. I, had, I met a guy the other day. He said, man, my slacks are really tight. And I'm like, what, they're either slack or they're, they're tight. Then you got, you know, hey, that's pretty ugly. Clear, hey, hey, you, I've been clearly misunderstood. I mean, well, I mean, it's one or the other, right? Uh, a self-help group. <laughs> Think that one through. See, it's like a self-help. You're helping yourself, but you're in a group. I thought that, was, I thought that one was hilarious. One I didn't put up there was uh, United Methodist. <laughs> they're, not, they're not very united right now, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of infighting and, you know, hey, 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 if you're a Methodist, uh, forgive me. Hey, we've had our problems. Uh, trust me, I know how it goes. Um, but here's the deal. If you know the Lord, let me give you two words that should never go together. Grumpy Christian. Never. Never. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit is filling you, and you look at all of these characteristics of fruit, man, we as believers just should never be grumpy. Never. And when we are, that's a good sign that maybe you're leaking. And you gotta, you gotta do something, you know? That's a good sign that the fruit of the Spirit is not somehow being produced in, in your life. Think about it. Just let that sink, sink in for a moment. Why don't you stand up, okay? Everybody over in the venue, why don't you stand? <laughs> and so, Lord, <coughs> thank you for our time today. Wow, I've really enjoyed this music. It was really majestic, it was holy, it was sacred. I could have listened to music like this just all day, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that we got to remember your death and your burial, your resurrection, your soon coming through communion, God. That is always just a really special time. Thank you, God, that we could bring our gifts to you. Thank you for the word of God that tells us that we have your Holy Spirit in us forever. And it tells us what it looks like when, when, our, when we have allowed ourselves to be filled with your spirit. Give us a great, great afternoon. And I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, Lord bless you. Live for Christ.